I am the RUF campus minister at the University of Tennessee. If you don't know what RUF is, big it up, big it up, big shout out. If you don't know what RUF is, it's, it's uh, one of the many uh, great campus ministries on campus. And I love college students, love high school students, love middle school students. I did uh, youth ministry before I did college ministry. Uh, in fact, I went to the University of Oklahoma, which is just a little bit north of Dallas, Texas, where I grew up. But the University of Oklahoma is in a small little college town called Norman. Norman, Oklahoma. When I was a college student, there was not a ton to do in the metropolis of Norman, so I did what probably you do, those of you that can drive and don't uh, know what to do. You just kind of drive around and explore and kind of see what's out there. And one time, me and my group of friends found in a forest, tucked back into it, an abandoned slaughterhouse. Now, a slaughterhouse, if you're unfamiliar, this is a big, giant, complex, industrial building where they would bring in cattle to butcher and then process meat. But this has been, like, out of operation for, like, 20, 30 years. So it was all dilapidated and rusty and spooky and weird. And so one time, me and my friends, we were juniors at the time. We were friends with some freshmen, and we decided, hey, it would be a great idea to take these freshmen and see if we can figure out a way to get into the slaughterhouse. So one night, me and my friends and these freshmen, we drove to this place. We park around back, and you got to imagine the scene. Forest, spooky, eerie. The only thing that, the only light you have is the light of the moon. So it's kind of that, like, glowy, spooky light. It's eerily quiet. All you can hear are, like, the trees, like, slowly screeching together. Spooky. So we, we go around back. We figure out that there's a way that you can kind of peel back some metal and get into the slaughterhouse. So we peel back this, this siding and we step into the building. Now, you gotta, you gotta realize we have flashlights because it's pitch black dark. The only thing that you can see are just where the, the light shines. And so we step in, we kind of slowly all kind of bundle up together, all huddled together, like making our way through this thing. And it's like there are. You know, empty beer cans and bottles. There are dirty, like, stuffed animals in the corner. Like, weird stuff that should not be in there. And so, we're making our way through this thing, and we, we discover that there is this set of stairs going up to the second floor. And the set of stairs is all rickety and dangerous. Some of the slats in the stairs are rusted out and are missing. So, we think this is a good idea to go up the stairs. So, me and my group of friends, we kind of make our way to the very... Top. Now, the top level, we discover, is where the stalls were where they actually slaughtered the cows. So there are drains in the ground where, like, the blood would drain through. It's just... So we're up there. Once we start seeing this, we're, we realize it's about time for us to go. It's, uh, it's a little too spooky. We realize the whole time we've been, we've been moving as this, uh, you know, mass of humans. And as we're kind of surveying the scene up there, we hear this boom! From downstairs. We scream, the girls scream, we all grab each other, hearts are racing. We all start, you know, we gotta calm each other down. Shh, 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 shh. We listen. It could have been anything. It could have been a tree falling, it could have been something. Who, who knows what it is? Boom! Hear it again. And we realize, oh my goodness, okay, something is downstairs. And the way out is to go downstairs. So we start figuring out, we start coming up with this game plan. We've got, to, we've got to take one foot after the other and start going down these stairs. But as we are um, making our way down, so maybe like 
Four of us are in the staircase. It's a little narrow staircase. And maybe uh, five or so of us are still in the room. We hear a sound behind us in the stall room. And so we, start, we, you know, we, we take the flashlight and start surveying the room and turn around. And say, this is not a lie. Honest truth. A bearded man wearing camouflage emerges out of the dark towards us. So we freak out and start running headlong down the stairs. One of the freshman girls we were with busts through the steps, catches herself by her elbows, and her legs are dangling into nothingness. She's screaming, we're screaming, we pull her out, we run downstairs, and now we're trying to figure out where is that aluminum siding. we got to get out of this building. As we're uh, doing the flashlight again, honest truth, another man bearded is running at us, swinging like a chain or something. I don't know, I never saw it. So, at this point... We revert into primal instincts, and we're pushing each other, biting each other, just get out of the way, sprinting into the darkness, trying to find the panel where we got out. We find the aluminum panel, push it out, one by one, we kind of peel out, pour out, run to the car, get in, drive off, safe. Amazing, amazing experience. Everyone was okay, even the girl that fell through, she was just kind of cut up a little bit on her sides. Now, uh, what you need to know and what these freshmen didn't know was that the two guys in the slaughterhouse were my friends. And what these freshmen didn't know is that we had planned the whole thing. And they didn't know that we did this often to groups that didn't know about this thing called the slaughterhouse. So, I know you can... um, you can love me or hate me because of that story. But our fr- these freshman friends of ours thought that their biggest problem was, you know, these crazy people in the slaughterhouse were trying to kill them. Actually, their biggest problem is that they just had really terrible older friends that would do this to them. Now, the reason I tell you this is because these Fred poor freshman girls only experienced part of that story, right? There was so much more that was going on behind the scenes that didn't meet the eye. And what I want to do is I want you to think about your life in terms of a story. And my point that I'm going to try to make tonight is this, that your experience of your story is not the whole thing. There's a whole lot more going on that is, you know, that that doesn't meet the eye. If you think about your life about a story, in terms of a story, maybe in terms of a movie, a movie has a beginning and middle end, so does your life. It unfolds one scene after the other, and congratulations, you are the main character. I mean, you're like in every scene of the story of your life. Congratulations. There are, um, uh, you know, there's, there's a supporting cast. There are, you know, characters that, that surround you, your close friends, your family, maybe teachers, coaches, whoever. There are extras in your story, people that you kind of know but don't really know, like the checkout person at Kroger, probably some of, your, you know, some of the people at school you just kind of recognize, but they're just sort of there doing their thing. Uh, your story, just like all stories, has problems that get resolved. It has a lot of problems that doesn't get resolved. Uh, there's romance. There's suspense. There's drama. There are bloopers. I mean, th- you know, this is, this is our life. Our life is a story, but just like those freshman girls... Uh, there was so much more going on that, that they just didn't experience. By their experience, they didn't catch the whole thing. 
And so what I want to try to show you tonight is that your experience of your life is not the whole story. You were born and placed into this thing called your life, but there's so much more going on even before you showed up. Think about Harry Potter for a second. We've got some Harry Potter fans over here. Harry Potter, when he kind of comes to and starts realizing, when he's kind of old enough to realize what's going on with reality, all he really knows is he's living with the Dursleys under the staircase and he's got a weird scar on his head, right? But as he gets older, mail starts coming from this place called Hogwarts. And he's like, what's, what's this about? And he starts to discover uh, his parents were wizards and he's a wizard. And his parents have been taken out by real evil out in the world. And then he discovers that there were prophecies about him that, that told his purpose in the universe. And so he starts coming to discover all of this stuff that has always been true about him. He just didn't know it. And so really one of my points, one of my goals for this week, for our time together, is for you to discover a little bit more about your story than you may not have realized was true. There's a lot about you that is true that my guess is a lot of you haven't discovered yet. Because who you are and why you are the way that you are goes back a whole lot farther than just when you showed up. So I want to read one verse from the Bible tonight uh, with you. It's Psalm 139, verse 16. You can flip, uh, I guess you don't have these, you can flip your pages or uh, just listen. It's just one verse, I'll read it to you, it says this. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one came to be. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one came to be. This is basically saying that your life is a story that has been written by God. In other words, your story has an author. If you hear nothing else that's coming out from my mouth tonight, hear that. Your story has an author. Every day, every moment, every minute, every hour of your life has been written down and scripted by this great playwright called God himself. He's the one that gave you your name. He's the one that gave you your family. He's the one that put you in uh, to the context where you came from. You were born in this particular country and in this particular century because that's how he wanted to write it. He's the one that gave you your face. He's the one that gave you your nose. He's the one that gave you your hair. He's the one that gave you your personality. He's the one that gave you your gender. He's the one that gave you your race. He is the author of your life. And here's why this is so unbelievably important for you to grasp. It's because it's not just any author that wrote your life. Your author is infinitely wise and infinitely brilliant and ceaselessly good. That's who wrote your life. And it's important to keep that in mind because if you're anything like me, it's really easy to look at parts of your story and think... I hate this. I wouldn't have written it like this. For me, example, uh, I would have deleted the part of the story where I started going bald early. Like that would have been, that's an unnecessary detail I would have deleted from the story. Or for me personally, um, most of middle school would have been kind of taken out of the script. (laughs) Shout out to the middle schoolers in the house. Um, But when you look at the parts of your story that you hate, or you think, I don't like this. God, why did you write it like this? I could have written it better. 
What you're doing and what I'm doing is we're, we're it's kind of like, think about it like this, it's kind of like a third grader critiquing J.K. Rowling on uh, Harry Potter. Here's this brilliant author who's written this seven-volume masterpiece, and it's like a third grader coming up to her and saying, you know, um, your story kind of stinks. I would have taken out the Neville Longbottom character. Uh, the Quidditch thing, that's kind of stupid. Uh, why did Snape have to be so mean to Harry? Let's get rid of that. And so it's like, can, we, can you imagine like a third grader coming up to a brilliant author and saying, this is stupid. I know better than this. But part of what it means to get to know God, part of what it means to worship God and to love God is to begin to appreciate and to love your own story. <laughs> to the degree that you hate parts of your story, it's to that degree that you're disagreeing with a genius and you've put yourself in the position of a third grader. When you say, God, I hate my personality. I hate my body. I hate the family that you gave me. That's you as a third grader looking at this brilliant author and saying, I would have written it better. I know how to write it better. So what do we do then when we do have parts of our story that are really painful? Because my guess is this room is filled with a lot of unspoken pain. Where we've had friends that have betrayed us or abandoned us. We've had parents that have left. We've had divorces that have been really painful. Uh, some of you have experienced really traumatic, painful abuse. Uh, you've tried out for something like a team or a... Um, a club or something, and you got denied, and you felt so rejected, and you felt so humiliated. Like, what do you do with those parts of your story when you say, God, why would you write that? Why would you write those painful things into my life? Well, what do you think about that? And I want to end with another story. Uh, I heard this story from a journalist, uh, about a journalist who went to go see this famous jazz trumpeter named Wynton Marsalis in this cool little New York jazz club a couple years ago. So the journalist goes in, it's this kind of small, intimate little setting. Wynton Marsalis is this world-famous jazz trumpet player. They all, there's like this, this whole band up, is up there, and they're just doing their thing, and the whole night is just amazing, so says this journalist. But towards the end of the night, the band starts to step away, and it's just Marsalis up there with his trumpet doing some solo ballads. And the guy says he's playing these songs like it's just, it's just flawless, it's just amazing. And he's playing this last song of kind of the whole night to kind of wrap up the whole evening. It's this famous American ballad song. And uh, you know, like some of the songs that we sing tonight, you kind of get to the last line and you kind of repeat it a few times, maybe start slowing it down. That's what he started doing with this like last stanza. And he's playing this last thing and he's kind of getting to the last three notes. You know what I mean? It's like, bum, 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 whatever. You know, the last note. We're kind of big ending. And before he can hit these last three notes, someone's cell phone goes off. And it's one of those, like, horrible, electronic, singy little ringtones. You know what I mean? So, like, the room gets instantly awkward and weird. People start, like, nervously laughing and picking up their drinks again. And, like, the guy takes the phone call and, like, sheepishly, like, kind of ducks out of the room. And the guy, the journalist, takes on a napkin and he's with his friend and he writes in big letters, Magic Ruined, and kind of slides it over. 
My guess is some of you probably feel like that tonight, where you feel like my life was going really well and then this thing happened, whatever that thing is, and it feels like the magic has been ruined. That you felt so damaged that your story feels like it's so beyond repair that the magic has been ruined. So Wynton Marsalis still has his trumpet at the microphone. And things are awkward and weird out there. And the guy leaves. And he kind of raises an eyebrow. And he starts playing on the trumpet the melody of the ringtone. And so he plays it. And he plays it again. And then he kind of starts to like do his jazz thing and improvise on it and kind of riff it on it. And he kind of takes it up and he takes it down. And he's key changing. He's slowing up and he's slowly reweaving that stupid, silly, chaotic ringtone back into the original song that he was playing before. Weaves it in flawlessly. Gets to the point where he was about to finish and hits the last three notes. Ends the whole show and everybody's jaw is on the floor. That guy had written, magic ruined. But the magic was not ruined because they were in the presence of this master. And what we're going to discover this week, my hope is that you discover this week, is that Jesus is that master author that can take the silly, chaotic things in your life where it feels like it ruins the magic and reweave it back into beauty back into music. Do you believe that that is what God is up to with your life? Because the claim of the Bible is that he is. That your story has an author and he's reweaving the broken pieces of your life back into music, back into glory, so that when you get to the end of your life and look back over the whole thing, you, you say, that is brilliant. That is breathtaking. I ne- I'm, I'm so satisfied with the glory of that story. I would have never, I've never seen how you would have woven together my wounds and my pain into such a way that it brings about redemption and healing and glory. How does God do it, though? That's the question we're going to explore tomorrow. Let me close in prayer. Father, tonight, as we uh, head into our different cabins to talk and to think and to process, I pray that you would press on all of our hearts a real reminder that you are the author of our lives. Father, I know that there are some of us here that don't believe that. There are some of us here that don't know you, that don't think that you're there, that think that their life is really just this... um, chaotic collection of scenes that really has no point. I pray that wherever we find ourselves this week, if we're doubting, if we're excited, if we're struggling, if we're hurting, if we're lonely, if we're angry, if we're depressed, wherever we find ourselves, would you meet us and at least tonight remind us that you are the author of our lives and that you are reweaving all the broken pieces into something beautiful. Help us to believe it and help us to know it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.